0: Welcome in to the Hoist the Colors podcast. I am Stephen Igo, the host of this podcast, the publisher of HoisttheColors.net, our second podcast in the span of a few days and wanted to put a bow on spring football, which is what we will be doing in this podcast. Of course, earlier this week, Jonathan Wagner and I discussed the baseball series, wrapping up the four-game set against UCF and taking a quick look ahead. to wichita state but today we are focusing all on football i'm riding solo i'm going to give you some just a a quick overview of spring practice kind of my thoughts on it and then we'll jump right into your questions because we got quite a few on the of colors message boards and i think that will uh, end up taking up a bunch of our time so i wanted to dive right into those but first Man, it was just a breath of fresh air just to get back out there and cover spring football. Uh, after last year, not having the chance as a reporter to cover not only spring football, but uh, no preseason camp access, no in season practice access. Everything was on Zoom. And just to get back and, and be able to be around the team again, albeit socially distanced, and, you know, we were able to. To get up close and watch, though, from the sidelines, it it makes our job uh, so much easier to report on what's going on, who's there, who's not. It allows us to kind of communicate with some sources around the team on and off the record more consistently to get a better feel for things. So just really want to say thanks to ECU football, first and foremost, for allowing us that access because a lot of programs were shut down still as far as media access during the spring due to the COVID pandemic but ECU opened it up I thought as much as you know possible um, you know we, we, most of the spring access we only got to see you know warm up special teams that sort of stuff but coach Mike Houston did let us um, especially the first day in pad really get a close to an hour hour and a half of access uh, during that day and then also when they scrimmaged the first spring scrimmage on April 17th, we were able to watch basically the last hour or so and then film the last 30 minutes or so. So, again, really good access, um, and I thought that that played a big role with our uh, interest and our subscribers on Hoist the Colors. You guys were very engaged uh, throughout the spring football, which I think just excites the fan base even more for the coming season. So I thought all in all, outside of the pause right in the middle of spring ball, which of course wasn't ideal. It was just great to get back to somewhat of a normal football offseason. And of course, you know, from the football side of things, I think this was such a critical spring for ECU. It's unfortunate that so many guys missed practice time due to COVID protocols and they had the pause. So they really almost lost probably two or three days of practice, just kind of working the guys back into where they were going into the pause. But I thought overall it was such an improvement over last year where they got to do no work. I mean, this roster is so young, needs so much development. There's so much upside that you did see a ton of players grow from practice one to the practice, uh, to the 15th practice, which wrapped up spring practice with the, the purple goal game this past Saturday. Uh, even though it was not an official spring game, the program tr- treated it as a as a spring game. They split the two sides into uh, purple and gold, of course, and gold emerged victorious, seventeen to three. It was a defensive-oriented game. Uh, a lot of people saw the final score and you know, kind of asked, you know, how was it so low-scoring? Well, the, the defense did dominate, but you have to remember there was also a running clock. I mean, the game itself probably lasted around an hour, fifteen an hour, thirty minutes. So it's not like it they got as many plays probably as they would in a normal full game because they just kept it moving they kept the clock moving um and so it's important to remember that but the defense definitely did look better than the offense you also had offensive and defensive personnel split up between the gold and purple team after the draft and so it's probably easier for the defense to play that way rather than the offense to play because the offense kind of has to be in unison of course the defense does too but especially the offensive line I thought is where it made. The biggest difference, you've got different quarterbacks throwing to different receivers, so the timing can be off there. Defense, you can just kind of go play. Um, And, of course, it can play a role in coverage and whatnot. But we'll get into some of the players that stood out throughout the questions that we're about to get to on the Hoist of Colors message boards. Before we start with that, again, wanted to say, if you uh, are not a subscriber to Hoist of Colors but are listening to the podcast, definitely look to take advantage of a deal Uh, Later this week, surrounding the NFL Draft, uh, 24-7 sports and all of our team sites are offering a special package, 50% off an annual subscription to Hoist the Colors or your first month of VIP coverage for a dollar. And what this will do, if you're a current monthly subscriber, you can upgrade at 50% off the usual annual price. So if you're a current monthly subscriber, you can take advantage of this as well. If you're a current annual subscriber and have been with us for a long time, make sure that you've signed up for Paramount Plus, which comes at no charge. That is a free value that we add to our long-time subscribers. Of course, of course, we run so many deals that a lot of subscribers get in on those deals. But then when they stay long-term, a lot of our long-time subscribers ask, "Well, where's our perk?" Well, you know, we're not only giving you full access to every single 24/7 sports VIP. Uh, coverage but we're also giving you free access to Paramount Plus which is a new uh, streaming subscription you know kind of a a hybrid between what CBS All Access used to be along with um, the Paramount Plus coverage so check that out as always uh, we'll have a ton of VIP coverage you know everybody asks now that spring ball is done what are you guys going to focus on we are going to turn heavy into recruiting coverage obviously as the offseason goes further into june the dead period will be lifted and that will allow ecu to host prospects for the 2022 class we'll have all the scoop there we'll let you know what targets ecu is going after in the transfer portal for all sports but specifically basketball and football so a lot going on for east carolina right now just because spring football is in just because the summer is coming does not mean the coverage is going to stop i would argue now that recruiting is really about to kick back into gear you're going to see a ton of ton more coverage on our end as far as VIP recruiting information. So definitely check that out on hoistacolors.net. All right, let's get into everybody's questions on the, Hoist the Colors message board. Uh, we will start with our good friend, Berg Pirate. As always, he's got multiple questions. A lot of these pertain to uh, looking back at spring football and also kind of a future look into the... Um, into this season so we will start with bird pirate number one who does this team need to add in the offseason for you to think we can finish with eight wins well i think you know i've said all along the biggest needs for me are uh, offensive tackle edge rusher and probably wide receiver you know i don't think any single addition is really going to Take ECU from maybe a borderline six-win team to eight wins at this point. I think that's more on the current roster and the development and growth of that unit. I mean, if you're adding somebody this late and you're expecting them to be a basically a two-win player, I just don't see that happening. So, I think you can supplement the current roster with some potential late additions. Uh, that would certainly be ideal. But I think it's more about growing up the guys on the roster now. You know, can Holton Ayler's finally go from being uh, you know, a pretty good quarterback most days, at times great quarterback against SMU, uh, to doing that consistently. I think that takes ECU to an eight-win team. I think if, if the offensive line gels and plays kind of how we somewhat expect it to with two all-conference caliber running backs and Raja Harris and Keaton Mitchell, I think that makes the offense dynamic. If C.J. Johnson becomes C.J. Johnson consistently, I think that makes the offense even more dynamic. So I think... You know, eight wins with this schedule is a lot to ask. A lot would have to go right. So, you know, to answer your question, I would like to see them add an offensive tackle and specifically a guy who can get after it on the edge, just to add some depth to both of those positions to kind of hedge your bet. I mean, the more depth, the more competition you have, the more it protects you against injury, and the more chances that you have, a you know, of a guy breaking out and becoming an impact player. So those are the the positions I would really – Focus on and the positions that ECU really is focused on as far as looking into the transfer portal. Number two, when will we know if Noah Henderson and Peyton Winstead will be available this fall? That will be probably sometime this summer. Of course, Berger is asking about the two injured offensive linemen. Neither have played basically going on two years now. Winstead hasn't even played since his freshman year in 2018. He has had a ton of shoulder injuries. What they were trying to do with Peyton is uh, give him this spring to really work out, build up his strength. Because what has happened is he's gotten hurt so many times with his shoulder. Every time he comes back, I don't want to say he's rushing, but he just doesn't have the strength needed, and he ends up re-injuring his shoulder because he just got back from rehabbing his injuries. So the hope is to have his strength build up to where he doesn't get injured in the fall. uh, But I would expect him to be able to go in the fall unless he has another setback. As far as Noah Henderson, that's just a back injury, and with back injuries, dealing with um, you know herniated disc and that sort of stuff, you just never know for sure. I mean, that's all going to come down to a doctor's decision. Mike Houston did seem somewhat optimistic, but I don't think it's a point where you can count on Noah Henderson's presence right now. Again, if he's able to come back and add to your depth of offensive tackle as a former starter, that's that's huge, but With a back injury, you you just can't count on it. So I think we'll know something more definitive, though, on those two guys this summer uh, going into fall camp. Number three, will Ryan Jones play against Appalachian State, and will Rick DeBrayu still be suspended for the first half of that game? Yeah, unless the NCAA changes their rule where the targeting in the second half of a game still carries over into the season opener for the next year. So De- Debreu, DeBrew, I can't always mess up his name, uh, Rick, I'll just call him Rick D, um, he was targeted in the SMU game or, or rejected for targeting, which means he would have to sit out the first half of the App State game. As far as I know, that still uh, holds up. Now, I will double-check when we get closer to the season opener. Um, but it is significant to say that uh, DeBrew – or Rick D didn't really practice much this spring because of uh, an injury, so they were they took it careful with him. So at least it's good that a lot of other guys got reps at defensive tackle. Uh, Ryan Jones, I expect him to play against App State as of now. I think he's got his court case scheduled for later this spring, but you know he served his punishment. And he was back at spring practice, then he suffered an unfortunate concussion, so he missed a lot of time. Uh, that he really needed this spring. But as of right now, I expect him to play. But, of course, we will keep you guys updated on that going forward. All right, ECU Pirate 99, he asks, is the assumption that Pop McKay, the three-star running back from Alabama, will be immediate depth behind Rajay Harris and Keaton Mitchell, or are we looking for a transfer? DJ Austin also looked serviceable, but I'm not sure that he is someone who is capable of starting if something happens to Harris or Mitchell. Can Demetrius Mooney step back in if there's an emergency? Um, I think you saw enough out of the, the walk-on running backs this spring to feel pretty good about the depth there. They moved Macy O'Donnell to running back. I uh, saw Barnes and DJ Austin also I thought looked serviceable. So, I mean, th- that's three guys that can at least go in there and operate within the offense if you need it. They're also bringing in uh, Jamone Wilson from uh, Marshall, a transfer who's expected to be eligible right away. He will not be on scholarship right away, but he's a guy who coming out of high school was uh, West West Forsyth's all-time leading rusher, and if not for some grade issues, would have gone probably somewhere in state on scholarship. So there's number one, and then the assumption that Pop McKay will be immediate depth behind Harrison Mitchell, I think there is an assumption there that he will be um he was on campus for the spring game and or the uh the first spring scrimmage i should say and and i did not see him but from talking with people he absolutely looked the part uh built well and the expectation is he will be eligible so of course he's going to have to come in and learn the offense never easy for a freshman back but i think that they do believe pop mckay will be able to add some immediate depth and then with the addition of wilson Um, And also probably the addition of another preferred walk-on, at least one, maybe two. Um, I think that you'll be fine at running back come fall. Demetrius Mooney, I think he could step in if there's an emergency, but ideally it seems like he's pretty much all in on playing defense there, so you'd want to leave him there for now. But um, that's kind of how I see the running back room. I mean, you're basically four deep with McKay and Wilson coming in in terms of scholarship talent even though Wilson might not be on the scholarship right away. but um, And then you also have the walk-ons, and you could add another preferred walk-on back as well later this summer. So I think they'll be okay there, but of course a lot depends on the health of Rajay and Keaton. I mean, they've got to keep those guys healthy for sure. All right, moving down to some of the questions here. Buck Nasty, Chappelle Show Fame, asked, Do you think Garcia and Alex Flynn have a bit more motivation given Ryan Stubblefield's performance Saturday. Any chances of Ryan Stubblefield ending up as number two this fall? Uh, you know, I think I really think the coaching staff wants Mason to be the number two guy. I mean, I just from all I've seen in practice, I think they've given him the most reps, the most opportunities. He's got the most upside at the position by far. It just all comes down from Mason. Can he handle it mentally? And he definitely grew a lot this this offseason and this spring in terms of mentally now he's still not as far as alex flynn is in terms of understanding the offense understanding protections all that sort of stuff so but i definitely think the the strong performance of ryan subfield probably motivates those guys i mean alex did not have his best game and um you know i always say we can't overreact based on the small sample size we saw i mean we only know what we see And we know that Ryan Stubblefield looked really good in the spring game. We know that, you know, Alex Flynn didn't have his best day. But I'm not going to sit up here and say that Stubblefield is is 100% better than Alex Flynn or can be the number two guy. You know, we just don't get to see enough live reps in practice. At the end of the day, you have to trust the coach's judgment. And with Mason Garcia being a former four-star, so highly recruited, you know, now eligible, they're going to probably do everything they can to keep him happy in the pecking order. Uh, so, I and to be honest, he he, you know, if he puts it all together, he one day has NFL potential. So, you want to keep that guy in your program. Ideally, he would develop into the clear number two, uh, just from a a perspective that it gives you enough confidence that he can go in there, and run the offense, and run at a high level behind Holt and Ayers. But I think right now you've got a bit of a conundrum in that. Alex Flynn, while he may not be have the arm talent or the size or the mobility of Garcia or Stubblefield, he's probably got the best knowledge of the offense. You trust him to go out there and, and, and run it and probably not turn the ball over. But man, what I saw out of Stubblefield on Saturday, I knew he had a cannon for an arm. Uh, I did not know he was that quick. He almost r- reminded me of a De'Eric King. Not as fast, not as good of a runner, probably a better arm though just his build, everything about him. Um, and he plays with an air of confidence. It was his first time in front of fans, and I thought he did show some nerves early, but overall, you know, really, I, I just thought looked comfortable running the show. And so I would try, if I'm the coaching staff try to get him as many reps as possible. I mean, I think all three of those guys are capable, for sure. Uh, for, for once, you definitely have some legitimate depth in the quarterback room. Uh, Coach Houston has said their performance will dictate the depth chart, and, and this will be a big, big preseason camp for those guys. But I think the way Stubblefield kind of balled out on Saturday and showed out definitely helps his standing going forward and, and makes him a legitimate threat to maybe one day be the guy behind Holton. I mean, who knows? I think it's all going to be earned on the practice field, and um, you know, maybe his performance gives him more live reps come preseason camp. But I, I think this battle is far from over. In terms of the guy behind Holton Ayler's, and it, it will it will continue for quite a bit all right next set of questions here from buck wild 17 uh, number one or I guess this is one question in a bunch of different questions or a bunch of different questions in one uh, buck wild 17 asks: Is CJ Johnson a diva head case I feel like he brings it in games does he go hard in practice? Did he go hard in the scrimmage? Uh, you know, CJ, I'm not going to sit here and say, a, what, a 20-year-old student athlete or I'm not sure how old he is, is a is a diva head case. I don't know him that well personally. But, you know, he definitely has an interesting personality on the field. He's very boisterous, plays with a ton of emotion. Um, and it's been known in the past that teams try to get in his head. And he's got to learn how to play with – that aspect of things, because teams are going to try to do that, and he's now going into his third year of college football. He's got to understand that at some point you just have to calm down and play smarter in certain situations. Um, you know, does he go hard in practice? I, I think he's been coached to go hard in practice, and at times I've seen him maybe not go 100% because he's that talented. He can get away with it. But I think comparing him to the start of this spring when he was cleared – to the end, I thought his practice habits did improve. Now, he's not Tyler Snead in terms of he's going to go 120% at every single rep. I mean, Tyler Snead is just a different animal, but I think CJ is getting better. Uh, I think the biggest thing, though, is consistency. And until he does it consistently and performs consistently on game day and on the practice field, you know, I just don't know if he'll ever quite live up to that elite potential that he has now I give him a ton of credit he came into spring ball in tremendous shape and uh he looks the part he slimmed down probably about 10 pounds maybe even 15 pounds he's he's gained some quickness you know I thought he looked okay in the spring game didn't really show a ton um in terms of the offense didn't show a ton in terms of throwing him so um I I still think CJ has a ton to prove uh after last season had some drops you know probably underperform given expectations and if i was cj i would have as much to prove as anybody on this entire roster if he wants to get to the nfl and live out his dream he's going to have to have a, a big year to to have that opportunity so um, if he's not motivated after last season and after the talks he's had with kind of the coaching staff and some of the offensive players then i'd be concerned uh, but I do think he did show some improvement this spring and definitely worked on his separation quickness, that sort of thing. So um, very uh, very optimistic about the season he will have. I think he's in much better shape to have a breakout 2021 season than maybe going into last year. But still a lot of offseason left. All right, Buck Wild also asked in his next post, can we get a review of... Of the defensive scheme, position-wise, and who played there last year, I cannot keep it straight in my head. Is it a four-two-five? You know, it's basically a multiple three-four. I mean, you can you can call it a four-two-five because you've got essentially four players in the front: in a nose tackle, a defensive tackle, a, a defensive end who's going to play with his hand in the dirt, and then a stand-up outside linebacker you know so you really have four guys on the defensive front and then you've got two inside linebackers and then you have five DBs but why they call it a three four or a multiple three four is because the outside linebacker when he's standing up he can drop into coverage so he's almost like a fourth linebacker so really have you've got three down linemen four linebackers because the fourth linebacker is technically counted as the the nickel DB which they call the The Sam linebacker in this scheme. So technically it's a 3-4 multiple scheme, but it's basically a 4-2-5 or a version of it. So, uh, And then you've got, of course, the the four DBs, the two corners, and the uh, the boundary safety, which they call the buck, and the field safety as well, which plays to the wide side of the field and spends more time in coverage. So that is the, the defensive scheme, very multiple... You know, a lot of the positions can be interchangeable depending upon personnel and the situation. Like the buck safety can often play Sam linebacker because those two positions are often closer to the line of scrimmage. So there's a lot of versatility. You know, some of the defensive ends can play the rush outside linebacker position. Uh, They can change up the personnel. They can bring in two rushes. They can bring in three inside linebackers or three cornerbacks depending on the situation. So there's just a lot of versatility uh, for Blake Harrells defense all right we're going to take a quick break and then we will be right back on the hoisted colors podcast to answer the rest of your questions All right, welcome back to the Hoist the Colors podcast. We are rolling right along, wrapping up spring ball by answering your questions. Uh, J.T. Byrne Pirate, he's got uh, a question about the special team's thoughts on the kicking and punting situation. You know, I feel pretty good about punter. Uh, You've got two scholarship guys there that have kicked in games, John Young and Luke Larson. Just from my naked eye, I'm not a kicking or punting expert, but uh, watching the spring game, I thought that. Uh, uh, John Young looked more consistent. The ball comes off his foot more consistently, more consistent the hang time. You know, Luke Larson can do some different things. He can go rugby style. He can punt it deep. Um, and it, they're not going to show their their full punting package during a spring game. So I'm not going to draw too many conclusions from it. But just based off what I saw as far as the kicking and as far as last year, I think John Young is the more refined punter for sure at this stage. You know, Luke obviously has talent they recruited him on scholarship out of australia it's an interesting situation because both guys want to punt you've got a guy who could uh grad transfer if he wants to and and john young um but has kind of proven himself here and and probably uh sees himself as the number one guy and then you've got larson who's going to be a 29 year old freshman second year freshman this fall he didn't come to not punt he came to uh from Australia as a grown man to punt the football in college so it's an interesting situation one that they didn't really anticipate but COVID gave John Young an extra year and so you're not going to turn away a talent like John Young so we'll see what what happens you know I, I would not be surprised if one ends up leaving um, but I also would not be surprised if they both end up staying and, and just end up kicking in different situations during the fall so I feel good about punting I mean kicking I think Owen Daffer looks pretty good. Really strong leg. I mean, he, he distance is not going to be a problem for him. It's the accuracy and consistency for Owen. Uh, made two out of three field goals during the spring game. Knocked down the first two with relative ease, and then he missed a 33-yarder wide left, just pulled it. So consistency, and he's going to be com- going to be pushed by Lath Marwan and then also Sullivan Harden. Uh, out of uh, Myrtle Beach and then Leith is out of Inlo in and Raleigh and I, I really think Lath has a chance to be the guy just everything I hear huge leg great athlete but again it's going to come down to the competition but I think if you have Owen Daffer just based off what I have in the spring game or what, what I know this spring what I saw in the spring game he's going to be at least a competent kicker. And now you're bringing in competition to push everybody. So I I think the special teams based off the fact of how much competition there will be this preseason will end up being fine. But until those guys, specifically the kickers, kick in a game or kick off in a game, you just you never know how they're going to respond to a live environment. So there is some unknown there. But overall, I feel pretty good about it. All right. S. Hall Pirate 04. He asked, what is your biggest concern for this team heading into the summer Uh, the biggest concern for me will start defensively still the youth of the defensive line and the pass rush Um, again I like that group a lot but I'm concerned that once they get into some of their games against some of the better offensive line they're going to be able to win consistently with a four-man rush I just don't know if they have the personnel right now they flash it at times this spring But that's still an area that I want to see them prove. I like the linebackers, and I like the secondary a lot. So I think if they can find a way to get some pressure without having to blitz so much, I really think they can be good defensively. Uh, Offensively, the offensive line is always going to be a concern, specifically the health and depth of the group. I think for sure the first team is going to be at least uh, an average to above-average unit in the American Athletic Conference. Can they stay healthy? uh can they develop depth at offensive tackle specifically I feel good about the depth on the interior but offensive tackle depth kind of concerns me a little bit uh so that position has to stay healthy can they add somebody Uh, else this offseason they are slated to uh pick up the addition of Oregon State transfer Rob Vanderlaan but you know would like to add somebody maybe with a little more playing experience as well and then he the uh I would say the lack of proven depth at receiver. You know, I think there's talent there, but outside of Tyler Sneed, I don't know if there's really a 100% proven commodity. Of course, we know what CJ can do. You know, do the tight ends finally get involved this year? Who emerges at receiver? Does Audio Matosha finally put it all together? There's still question marks to me about the receiver position, especially after the loss of Blake Prowl. So those are my biggest concerns uh, for East Carolina heading into the season. Uh, Pirates are us. Uh, as did we come out of the scrimmage healthy? Yes. ECU came out of the scrimmage healthy. Um, a few guys missed due to injuries, but none of them expected to be long-term at this time. Uh, Pirates R. S. Us also has perhaps some O-line injury updates. You know, we kind of touched on that earlier with Noah Henderson and Peyton Winstead kind of to be determined. Isaiah Foote is a guy who injured his knee earlier in spring, but then was back for the spring game, which was good to see. Uh, and outside of that, they've really been able to stay relatively healthy on the offensive front. Of, uh, I forgot Fernando Fry did miss the majority or did miss the entire spring, but is expected back for the fall. Of course, he's the team's starting center, so it'd be good to have him back. And then uh, Nashad Strother practices spring after offseason surgery on his knee after injuring it in the Cincinnati game. And then Trent Holler missed the start of spring, but was back for the last few weeks. So overall, pretty healthy on the O-line outside of Noah Henderson and Peyton Winstead with um with Fernando Fry coming back. Uh, Pirates R Us also asked, haven't heard Elijah's, Elijah Morris' name much after hearing his name quite a bit last season and offseason. How is, is he coming along? Uh, he is asking, of course, about the true freshman or the former true freshman standout, Elijah Morris, now a second-year freshman who will be on scholarship going into the season because he earned it after coming in as a walk-on from uh, the state of North Carolina. But Elijah, he had a solid spring, man. He just, you know, nothing he does really jumps off the page at you, but he's just consistent. He was consistently running with the first team, consistently doing his job. I mean, he's just, he's going to be a guy that plays a key role on the defensive front. And I think that he had a very good spring. I mean, he did not do anything... Incredible that jumped out to me, but he was there every day. He practiced and was consistent, and that's why the coaching staff loves him. He's just a guy that's dependable, and so he will be one of, I mean, shoot, probably six to eight young defensive tackles that are in that rotation for sure, and he'll probably be a starter as long as he has a healthy preseason. So uh, Elijah Morris did everything that he was expected to this spring and I think will be a starter come the fall. All right, and our final user question and is coastal Juan And he has about 10 questions in one. So I told him I could do an entire podcast on, um, just his questions alone, but we will, we will start with, uh, we'll go one by one here. Number one from coastal one, uh, spring related. Can you break down the timeline, the timeline for summer and leading into fall as far as access and coverage go? So, yeah, good question. Um, you know, the summer, as far as in, you know, as far as team coverage, is not really a big thing. I mean, we will probably have some interviews with the coaching staff. I would assume just based on kind of random times. You know, I definitely try to catch up with Coach Houston or the head coach once or twice every summer, kind of going into the fall. So we'll do that at some point, probably midsummer. Um, you know, they're going to be extremely busy during June with recruiting. And then July is usually where they get some downtime and then come back, of course, in August. So uh, maybe sometime in June or um, late May we'll catch up with Coach Houston to uh, to discuss kind of the state of the program going forward, potential additions, that sort of stuff. As far as um, access and coverage, you know, I, I hope to have an interview with Big John Williams at some point this summer as well to really kind of put a bow on the progress this team has made in the weight room. We'll try and catch up with potentially the coordinators too. And, um, you know, might try to do some recruiting stuff in June in terms of like actual team content, catch up with the new director of recruiting, Derek Miller, kind of talk about some of the changes they've made in the personnel department, uh, if possible. And as far as our coverage, we're going to obviously do a ton of recruiting, uh, VIP information on who's visiting, who the top targets are at each position, that sort of stuff. We'll have that for you throughout the summer. Uh, We'll also have a ton of positional previews. We always do kind of a player-by-player breakdown, player expectations, what to expect from every scholarship player on the roster. All that sort of stuff we'll have for you uh, throughout the summer as far as football. And then, of course, we'll have basketball. You know, the recruiting period will also open for basketball in June and July, so there will be a ton of basketball recruiting info. And then we'll have baseball coverage leading up through – hopefully the college world series for east carolina but we'll have uh, extended baseball coverage and recruiting baseball coverage throughout the summer so a ton to look forward to uh, on the coverage front for uh, ecu athletics all right question number two coastal one asks what is our record on october 1st 2021 so you're asking me what is ECU's record after it's four non-conference games of course App State South Carolina App Marshall Charleston Southern I'm going two and two here I think they win one of the games against App or Marshall lose to South Carolina and beat Charleston Southern and you know here's the thing I could honestly see them going oh and three or three and oh in those first three games I think all three of them are winnable all three of them are losable you know, App State, really good team. I think they're replacing their quarterback. They've got some question marks. They've had a more staff turnover once again. They still have the same coach but lost their OC, Tony Peterson, to Illinois. At some point, that turnover is going to catch up with them. I don't know if it's this year, but I think that will be a big test for both sides. South Carolina, it will be Shane Beamer's first time, I believe, coaching against an FBS team as South Carolina's head coach. They're coming on the road. What is the atmosphere like? I think East Carolina is like 4-5-0 or 5 and 0 in their last handful of Power 5 uh, games at home, so we'll see what happens with, with that game, but I think South Carolina will be down, but they're still an SEC opponent. Uh, and then Marshall, new coaching staff. I just don't know what to expect from some of these games, and a lot of it depends on how good ECU is, and we think ECU will be much improved, but until they get out there and do it, we just don't know. But I'm going 2-2. Two and two. I think 2-2 two and two would set up ECU pretty well. Uh, All things considered, if they if they're able to go three and one, then you would only need three wins in conference play to make a bowl game. So, I think two and two would be looked at as a success. Three and one, you're you're going crazy. Four and zero, you know, Greenville is on fire. Zero and four or one and three, you know, there's probably some concern. So, uh, but I think for sure if they could if they could at least win one of those first three and then beat Charleston Southern, you're looking pretty good. And if you win two of those first three. Uh, Things are going to be in great shape. So a big opportunity with those first few games for East Carolina this fall. Uh, Number three from Coastal One. If for some reason South Carolina offers us an extremely late buyout for this year's game, does our AD accept it and schedule a second FCS opponent? Um, depends on how big the buyout is. I would say probably not because that's going to be your highest attended game. And it's a you know if they buy it out they're never coming back to Greenville. It's a winnable game at home against against an SEC team. So I think there's just so many positives for ECU with that game. It would have to be an astronomical number for South Carolina to buy it out. I just don't see that happening with the state of college athletics right now. And you know unless there's some type of COVID spike before the season, I just don't see the logic in doing that uh, on South Carolina's end. Number four, are Deontay Smith and Jake Verity drafted on Thursday? No, they will not be drafted in the first round. I do think Deontay Smith will be drafted on Saturday, which is rounds four through seven. I don't expect Jake Verity to be drafted. I think he will sign a priority free agent deal, though. Number five, who would you bet on for an AAC postseason accolade if you had to pick right now? Rookie of the year, offensive, defensive player of the year, etc.? Uh, I'm assuming you're asking about East Carolina, um, specifically here. I mean, I would go with the obvious choice and go with Tyler Sneed. I think he could be your special teams player of the year. He's returned a kick for touchdowns, um, two years in a row. He's a all-conference caliber slot receiver. So to me, Tyler Sneed could be your guy. Um, I think obviously Holton Aylers, if this team can play up to his expectations offensively or to its Potential. Holton Ayler's could be an all-conference guy, and defensively, you know, I think Gyral Wilson, DJ Ford, those type of guys are the impact players defensively that can get such a an award defensively. But um, you know, there's there's got to be a lot that that kind of goes right defensively. You got to get a lot of turnovers to get those type of awards, and some of that is skill, of course, but a lot of that can be luck, timing, etc. Uh, number six, Coastal One S. Will you be traveling to away games this year now that COVID is chilling out? Um, Most likely, yes. Most likely. um, I'm not 100% sure, though, because the wife and I are having our first child in late July, and it'll be an interesting fall from that perspective. She does makeup and hair for weddings, so um, we'll have to work out some things as far as travel because we're both sometimes busy on the weekend. But I'm pretty sure that I will be traveling especially to games like App State. Um, you know, I've, I've, <laughs> man, I've made that drive to Marshall before, and it is it is freaking miserable. So I don't. I would rather fly to Marshall than drive through the mountains again. Um, but we'll see. Most likely I will be traveling at least to the majority of the games, if not all, but I can't 100% guarantee it. But that is the hope right now. All right, Juan's got a few more questions here, uh, non-spring related if you need more questions. And why not? You know, we're, we've, we've talked a lot of spring football, so let's talk about some other stuff. Uh, might be a question for Brett Hickman. Brett's not on the show today, so I'll take it. We'll get Brett on again later this summer. Um, within the rules, and in addition to simply donating to the program, what's the best way fans can help with recruiting quality players to our program? Well, number one is obvious, pack the stadium. I mean, what recruit doesn't want to come to a game day visit, which will be happening this fall, and see a packed stadium? So number one, show up to games even with your frust- even when you're frustrated with the team. I think you've got to do your best to show up to games. I know it. it's expensive, it's frustrating when the team is losing, but that makes the biggest difference to me, especially at a school like ECU. Number two, and I can't say this enough, engage with them on social media showing recruits love on social media is a big deal and people may ask why would I waste my time tweeting at a recruit well fans from NC State and fans from North Carolina and fans from other competitors are tweeting at those recruits and when they see 25 NC state fans replying to the recruits and two ECU fans, maybe it makes a difference you know some kids that that stuff doesn't matter at all but I'll tell you a, a I don't want to say a majority but a good amount at least that stuff matters uh, in perception of who cares about the program. So I always say engage with prospects on social media. If a kid gets, you know, if a kid from Florida gets an offer from East Carolina and 15 ECU fans tweet at him saying, come join the pirate nation. They tweet at him, uh, gifs and all this stuff of a packed house. I think it makes a difference. It, it gives a good initial impression that football is important at ECU, which we all know it is, but a kid from Florida doesn't know that. So Showing that on social media, I think, makes a difference. So those are the two big things that I would say in terms of helping the, the program and the coaching staff recruit. A uh, multi-part question here that could be a whole episode. Gus Malzahn, when first hired by UCF, was asked about potential expansion of the playoff and whether he thinks that UCF could ever get there. Among other things, he mentioned that they need to schedule top 10 teams and beat them regardless of whether the playoff goes to eight and regardless of whether those teams will schedule one-for-ones. Parentheses, Danny White, previous UCFAD, wouldn't schedule Florida-Miami-Florida State under 2-for-1 agreements. What is your philosophy on scheduling, Uh, i.e. FCS, Regional G5, National G5, In-State P5, Regional P5, Top P5? And he's got examples listed for each uh, here. Considering how far in advance teams have to schedule, do you schedule for wins, for money, for equitable respect, stand your ground like Danny White? Or for your resume, et cetera. What's your ideal schedule in a given year? Man, um I feel like we've had this discussion a lot and we could do an entire episode on this very topic, and maybe we will this summer when things are dead. Um You know, my my personal preference when I look at East Carolina and the American Athletic Conference these days is an FCS school because you need that automatic win or What should be an automatic win, with the American being the level as it is? To me, I know people don't love the FCS school, but I would always have an FCS school in the schedule. I would also have a regional group of five opponent, like an an Old Dominion. Um, I guess an App State or Marshall Works, even though they're pretty darn good right now. Um, But I would have a regional G5. I would have an in-state Power 5 school. Like a a hopefully a UNC or Duke or North Carolina. And if you can't get them, maybe a you know, a regional power five like a Virginia or or Virginia Tech. Although that's probably not going to happen with the Hokies and Pirates history, but um, that's how I would try to do it as far as the the three main cogs of the schedule. And then from there, maybe. If you can't get another regional power five team, which is unlikely, probably a more noteworthy group of five team, like a Boise State or BYU. So I honestly think the schedules for the coming years are set up pretty well, uh, all things considered. Because the American is enough of a power right now. If If ECU goes undefeated this year with its schedule, and they beat South Carolina, they beat App State, they beat Marshall, you beat Cincinnati to close of the year, which was just in a um, a Power Bowl last year, or Power Six Bowl, whatever the hell it's called, uh, Access Bowl. If you were on the table 12-0 and you have a win over an SEC team, I think ECU's got just as good of a shot to get in the college football playoff as anybody in the G5 or whatever the hell uh, history, um, the outside non-Power 5 schools. I think you would have a pretty good case. I mean, the problem is, you have to almost start the season with the expectation that you're the non P5 team that can make the playoffs, like Cincinnati this year. They have the schedule to do it and they've got the preseason ranking to do it, but it's so hard to go 12 and 0 or undefeated in the regular season two years in a row. All the pressure is going to be on them, all the eyes are going to be on them, not only in their non conference games when they play Notre Dame, Indiana. I mean, both those games on the road. Every single conference game, they travel to Navy, they travel to Tulane, they travel to South Florida, they travel to East Carolina. They play SMU at home, they play Tulsa. Every single one of those conference games, they're going to get those teams' best shots. East Carolina, no matter what their standing is, they'll be fired up to play Cincinnati at home on November 27th. So it's just so hard to go unbeaten in college football. And Cincinnati is going to have to pour so much into those back-to-back road games early in the year at indiana at notre dame you know it's just you almost have to schedule that way but then it's that much tougher to go undefeated i mean clearly they would have earned it but i don't know i mean it's a, it's it's a tough topic it's just so the the system is so against the school like east carolina a school like cincinnati to make the college football playoff it almost has to break exactly right, not only with your schedule, with your preseason ranking, but with what the other conferences do. And because even if Cincinnati goes undefeated, if there's an undefeated representative from the SEC, the ACC, the Big 12, and um, the Big 10, they're probably going to be left out if it's just a four-team playoff because that's just how the cookie crumbles and those teams are always going to get uh, the preference from the college football playoff committee. But, it just has to break right you know the one year Houston beat Louisville and I think beat Florida State the same year but then lost to UConn they would have made the college football playoff if they would have gone undefeated so it can be done it's just incredibly hard uh for ECU right now it's scheduling philosophy should be completely different from you know what a Cincinnati or UCF is because right now ECU is just trying to get back to respectability they're not consistently an AAC perennial contender like a UCF or Cincinnati. So I think it's a different conversation for both schools right now for ECU. I'm fine with FCS regional G five regional power five, and then uh, either another regional G five or a national G five like a Boise or BYU. So, uh, that's my ideal schedule for ECU. Um, I think if Gus Malzahn wants to schedule games at Alabama at Auburn go right ahead you're probably going to lose those you know with with a a UCF team I mean those are just tough games to play so um, if you're not going to get a home and home out of them I think you're just kind of bowing down to the power five and not admitting defeat but basically admitting the odds against you which are there but it's just tough to to play those games on top of the American maybe Gus Malzahn doesn't realize how good the AAC is right now and uh, he'll find that out this year in his first year at UCF. All right, well, that'll do it for your questions. Again, um, we'll probably have – I think I'm going to try to get Bobby Harward on. Helps us out with the podcast some uh, at some point to talk more about scheduling. We'll go more deeper into that. But uh, enjoyed the spring wrap-up podcast. Enjoyed just being able to get out there and cover spring football for the first time in a couple of years. It was refreshing to be on the field again, taking some photos, doing reports for you guys. Saw so a lot of bright spots with this team this spring. I think they've got a lot of upside, and there's real reason for optimism. There's real optimism inside the program for the first time in a long time. Everybody's optimistic coming out of spring practice, but I really feel like ECU has a chance to to get back to respectability, to get back to Pirate football this spring so or uh, this season. So we'll, we'll see what happens. It'll be a fun off offseason, uh, potentially some more additions on the way. We'll keep you updated as always. On HoistTheColors.net again. We'll have a special later this week for new subscribers. 50% off a VIP membership. So take advantage of that if you're just a podcast listener and not a subscriber. To our longtime subscribers, you guys are awesome. You're the reason I'm able to do this. Cover my alma mater. It's a dream come true every day, waking up and running Hoist of Colors. So I don't take you guys for granted. Love you guys. Appreciate the support. We'll be back with the newest edition of the Hoist the Colors podcast this weekend. Uh, or Monday when Jonathan and I recap the baseball series at Wichita State. Until then, we'll talk to you next time. Download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and anywhere podcasts are found.